Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Drivers, start your engines! What's going on, FA Nation? Welcome back. This is the Fantasy Alarm NASCAR DFS podcast, streamed through the Better Sports Network. I am Dan Miller, and I am joined by the FSWA three-time NASCAR Writer of the Year, Matt Sells. Matt, how you doing? We are heading to New England for New Hampshire Motor Speedway this weekend. I am good. I am very full of uh, lobster roll at the moment, if you saw the appropriate grill uh, that uh, Ed Rouse and I did. I did a lobster roll. Because, you know, trophy's a lobster, so I may as well make food out of it, right? Um, so I'm doing good. I'm pretty excited about New Hampshire. It's one of my sneaky favorite tracks, just because it's so different than a lot of other tracks that they race. Um, I used to like it when it was on there twice a year, but... It's not a big <laughs> yeah. ratings getter, though. No, not... Not really. It is still one of Martin Truex's eight home tracks, though. According <laughs> <to that. laughs> um, it's interesting that you say that it's an interesting track because uh, all I can remember, aside from Ryan Sieg and Kaz Grawler wrecking in Xfinity practice yesterday, all I can remember is the broadcast team debating, is this a short track or is this an intermediate track? What is your opinion? So they have these debates over the tracks that are like one mile, right? Like Dover, is it? You know, I feel like Dover races like an intermediate because it's so banked, right? Yeah. And then you've got Phoenix, which is a one mile that they debate this about. I feel like this is a short track because it's basically the same shape as Martinsville. It's even flatter than Martinsville, to be honest, because Martinsville, at least in the outside of the corner, gets up to like 12 degrees, right? New Hampshire gets to seven. Okay. Yeah. That's <laughs> it's like ridiculously flat. So I would say that this race is like a short track. Um, it's got pretty long straights, pretty tight corners. You know, kind of like uh, you could toss Gateway in there. Um, but I feel like it also runs pretty well like uh, Phoenix and Richmond and Martinsville. Now, <clears throat> we are going to dive deep into New Hampshire. And the way practice and qualifying shook out, I actually think this is this is one of the better weekends for NASCAR DFS. And we're coming off... I guess three straight weeks of where we kind of weren't sure how much we wanted to play. Definitely last weekend with Atlanta, just because of the nature of how that track runs. 
Yep. Uh, we didn't know what to expect with Chicago and, and Nashville is still kind of a newer track on the circuit, but we, we, we had plenty of track data to pull with New Hampshire, but I guess like, I don't know. Is, is this a week where you're comfortable where we can say you can, you can play cash, you can enter multiple 20 max tournaments for, for our fantasy NASCAR DFS players. Like it's a week where I'm, if, if I'm going to play heavy in the month of July, it'd probably be this week just because it's so much fun to try and target, you know, the position differential guys uh, building around two dominators. And there are plenty of, you know, there, there are some popular dominator options starting on the front row. Uh, is this a good week to maybe, you know, throw a little extra bankroll at this race and, and have at it? Yeah, I would say so. The only concern I have is the weather. We do have rain uh, in the forecast. Quite a lot of it, actually. Um, yeah. The forecast I saw as a 95% chance of rain tomorrow, which is usually not great when the weather guys are going, yeah, we're pretty certain it's going <laughs> to rain. Um, they do have the wet weather package on the cars, but again, if it's a monsoon, you can't really drive through that. It's more meant for starting in damp conditions, so it takes less time to actually dry the track, and you let the cars on track, and then eventually the track dries, right? Kind of like what we saw in Chicago, where they started on wet tires, and then it was good to go. Um, I would say generally, yes, I feel better about cash this week. There are less wild cards here um they're also despite what the xfinity series race is trying to do right now uh there's usually less cautions <laughs> at new hampshire than than several other tracks so um i was actually going to ask you about that yeah. because in my in my just general theory i've always thought that when they run on flatter tracks because there's less area to maneuver around or especially even martinsville uh, but but with flatter tracks, I've always thought like if a car gets in the wall or if a car spins, they're quicker to throw the caution flag just because it's it's a safety issue and you don't want to damage too many cars if there's a car that's just stalled on track. Yeah, I mean, in that in terms of that, yes. But uh, one advantage that New Hampshire has is it is wider than Martinsville, right? It is. If you look in the corner, it's like four lanes wide, right? Yeah. Now, do they want to race on all four lanes? Nope. No. No. <laughs> but it's at least two lanes of racing wide. Um, you can make moves. We have seen bump and runs happen here. Um, we have seen Kyle Busch wreck twice in practice, this, uh, practice and qualifying already this weekend. So there are chances, but if guys kiss the wall here, it's not um, as big of an issue as we typically see on a tighter, more confined surface. Um, so there is that, but, um, I'm, if I had to put money down, I would bet that they would race on Monday and not Sunday. Don't know yet, but it's supposed to be not just rain. It's supposed to be like thunderstorms. Well, because uh, there was also like flooding concerns in the state of Vermont yes. and in other parts of New Hampshire. So obviously we hope everyone is doing fine on that front. <clears throat> um, but with that said, do you just want to dig into practice? Because practice was actually surprisingly eventful. Yeah, there was a lot of um, interesting takeaways from practice. Um, I think the big question I have is that they had two different practice sessions. Uh, there was there was obviously the first group, the second group. Christopher Bell was fastest in the second group, but compared to the first group, 
he was 10th fastest with nine drivers from the from the first group that were faster than him. Yeah, but he, he was did go out three tenths of a second slower on his best lap than the best lap in Group A. So is this going to be one of those situations where we kind of disregard practice data simply because Christopher Bell went out during qualifying and he landed, put down the fastest time. He's on the pole. He's he's an easy favorite. Like if you look back at his Xfinity history and his truck history here, he's just dominated at New Hampshire. This is one of his favorite tracks. And it's a track, it's a short flat track. It's set up for Joe Gibbs Racing to dominate. And sure enough, they have Christopher Bell, Christopher Bell on the pole, Martin Truex Jr. right next to him, and Ty Gibbs is starting P36. And you only imagine that he can somehow work his way up into the field, at least finish top 20, maybe even a top 15 or top 12. Yeah, I'm going to pretty well disregard the fastest single lap speeds because it's quite clear that Group A um, got – the better run, whether it was because the track was hotter for group B or there was, it had been rubbered up a little bit or whatever the case may be. Group A clearly got the advantage. And, but then when you come, when you see qualifying compared to practice times, qualifying times for group B were a lot closer to their practice times than for group A, right? Like Christopher Bell landed on the pole with what, a uh, the heck was his time it was like a 0.5 it was like a 30.5 was his qualifying time right that's a tenth of a second off of what he ran in practice meanwhile truex who was one of the fat i think second fastest in group a ran like a 30.12 or 30.2 in practice and then ran a 30.5 in qualifying so Group A's times backed way up. Group B's times were basically the same in qualifying. So I'm looking at lap averages this week, um, you know, as we typically do on shorter tracks. The longer the guy was on the track, the better. Yeah. Um, that being said, you know, much past 10 laps is unfortunately not going to be super helpful because there was only like, what, eight, eight guys who ran 15 lap averages. Um, whereas more than half the field ran 10 lap averages. So, you know, we'll, we'll be focusing on that, but it, it was interesting to see Michael McDowell running really, really well though, too. Now he was pretty fast in practice, but qualified P 17. He's only 5,900. Uh, we were playing around kind of loosely building lineups before we started recording, but we didn't really touch on. Michael McDowell, and it seems a little odd to lead off just talking about Michael McDowell. Um, this didn't necessarily strike me as a track that Fords would be good at, but at the same time, three of the top five are Fords with Eric Amorola starting third, uh, and then teammates Joey Logano and Ryan Blaney starting fourth and fifth. Uh, is this a race where Michael McDowell at his price tag might be able to contend for a top ten? Maybe, but that would be surprising given the fact that over the last eight races at New Hampshire, he's got two top 20s. Like he, in the practice interview he had, he admitted this is not one of his best tracks, right? I think the data bears that out pretty easily, that this is not one of his better tracks. Um, I, I would take a shot on him. Look, the speed in practice is what it is. It was consistent. Uh, he had the best overall single lap time in practice for whatever that's worth. Um, and he was right there in lap averages. So I would take a shot, just be wary of 
the fact that the track history basically suggests that he's <laughs> that it's, it's not going to go well for him. It's not going to go well for him. And also, by the way, the last eight similar races, if we look at um, like Richmond, Phoenix, Martinsville, and New Hampshire over the last eight races at those, his average start is 17.8, right? So he's right, mm-hmm. right where he's starting. His average finish is 21.6. He does have a top 10. He does have a couple of top 15s. Um, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I think he's a good GPP uh, option this week. Uh, <clears throat> scrolling back to the top of the driver pool, we we did mention that Christopher Bell and Martin Truex Jr. are starting on the front row. Obviously, it's totally fine to play both in tournament lineups. Um, I'm probably going to do between 20 and 40 lineups, and I'd say that I would play both in probably 15% of my lineups. Um, and that's just assuming that they can both go out there and col- and either one of them wins it, but both collect laps led and dominator points with 301 laps. We're looking at potentially 200 dominator points in this race. Um, are you okay playing both in cash games? Don't think so. No. I, like passing is possible here, right? Like we've seen, we've seen, seen it happen um where it's not necessarily the pole sitter that goes out and wins Mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily the guy who starts second that goes out and wins um you know the, the short track package has been tougher to pass for sure um but you know if we look back at the track history here, for example, the last time the pole sitter won was Kyle Busch in 2017, in the second race of 2017. Prior to that, like last year, Bell started fifth. The year before, Eric Amarola, 80 to one underdog that I called, won uh, starting 22nd. Granted, there was strategy involved, but that's part of the race, right? Not to mention that was also a race where Kyle Busch and Martin Truex Jr. were both complaining about rain on the track within yes. the first 15 laps and they both wrecked and Correct. one of them wrecked out of the race. The other was just not competitive the rest of the day. And they were two of the favorites heading into that race. Correct. It's like weird things can happen, but yeah. Um, won it prior starting fourth. Kevin Harvick swept in 28 or 2019 and 2020. Uh, he went back to back starting 14th, both, both times. Um, but prior to Kyle Busch winning from the pole in 2017, the last time that a guy starting on the front row won this race, Casey Kane in 2012. Jesus. And then it was Newman on the pole in 2011, and then Clint Boyer from second in 2010. So despite people's beliefs, it's not really a track where the pole sitter or the outside pole dominates. Now, can they dominate and not win? <clears throat> sure. Do we have two dudes that came in as co-favorites that everybody was talking about all week <laughs> on the front row? Yes. Yes, we do. Doesn't mean that they're coming out as uh, the victors. It could mean that they lead like 200 laps combined and then they fall a few spots back, but I think that's too risky to play in cash. Uh, just... <sighs> 
I don't know. I could spend all day just talking about Bell and Truex and just the strategy and building around them, but we only have 30 minutes. So, uh, I mean, both you gotta get if you're gonna put both of them in there, you gotta get a little creative and play at least one guy you're not exactly comfortable with, just with how the starting lineup sh- uh, shakes out along. Okay. The so let's play with that at least because, like, if you do plug them both in on DraftKings, you're looking at $27,800 for the last four drivers. That's 6950 per driver. Correct. Uh, we were talking before the podcast about how you can eat the chalk with Ty Gibbs because he's 7600 but then that takes you down to 20200 And so a lot of tournament lineups are going to be – are going might end up being 3v3, which is like, you know – a lot of tournament plays might start with like Bell, Truex, Gibbs, and then you're trying to figure out how to get different elsewhere. And, and I said, like, I'm comfortable playing Almendinger starting 14th at 6,700 because I don't think a lot of people are going to want to play Almendinger starting 14th. I think he's a reliable driver with plenty of experience here. And the call of equipment isn't bad, even though those guys don't consistently have good finishes. But who are some of these guys that might have upside that you may not feel comfortable playing? Um. I think Ryan Priest has some upside. The the you know seventy one hundred bucks. A lot of people probably overlook him because it hasn't been the best year uh, at SHR. But he's very good at short tracks. If we it's look a home back, track at, for him. what? It's his home track essentially. Yeah, basically, there's two. I don't know what you call people from Connecticut, so I'm just gonna call <laughs> two drivers. They're, from Connecticut they're technically Connecticuters. Okay. Learn something new every day. But, yeah, Logano and Priest are the two from Connecticut in the field. Um, Priest started 29th at Gateway, which everybody complained was hard to pass, and he finished 17th. Um, Martinsville, he led 135 laps. He did start on the pole. I think some strategy bit him there, but he did lead 135 laps. Um, Richmond, he moved up 15 spots, right? Uh, Phoenix, he moved up another 13 spots. So I think there's upside there. I think people are going to disregard him because he's starting 21st. Um, But guys in the, you know, the bottom, we already talked about Michael McDowell, but you're going to have to get hairy with guys. Like, do we believe Cole Custer's car lasts 300 laps? (laughs) Are we back on the Todd Gilliland train? Like does Ty Dillon do anything more than get lapped seven times? Like, you know, Ryan Newman's not in the question for me. Like, that car was so slow. <laughs> the only reason he's not starting in the back is because he got bailed out by, like, three other people having issues. Um, so, you know, if you go, for example, Bell, Truex, Gibbs, and then you go LaJoy, who, by the way, NBC said is the only driver this year to finish every race and be running at the end of every race. It's the only one in the entire field that's pulled this off. <laughs> okay, I'll take a shot. Why not? And then you go Priest. You have 7700 bucks left. Then things get interesting because you could go with a guy like Busher. Because if we believe in Kislowski, why yeah, not believe in Busher? Right? And then you got 400 bucks left, and I have, and I've basically lived in the mid-tier. So it gets very interesting if you put both Bell and Truex uh, in your lineup. I'm actually kind of happy that we did that segment because I feel like a lot of people, we would get a lot of questions about building around Bell and Tricks. Now, you don't do that for every single one of your lineups, um, but you still want to take, you probably want to take a multi-dominator approach with at least two guys 
uh, because in this next gen car, we just haven't seen, I can't recall one race over the last two years where one guy specifically dominated it. Um, so I do think you want to take a two dominator approach, but if we're looking away from Bell and Truex, who are some other drivers that we could consider? I'm thinking off the top of my head, I know Blaney and Logano qualified well, but at the same time, I just find it so hard to believe that this is a track that a Ford can go out and dominate. And so almost by default, if I'm looking for a, a tertiary dominator, it's probably William Byron starting P7 at just 9,900, right? Probably. I mean, he's been really quick most of the year. He's been quick on short, flat tracks as well. Um, I find it hard to believe that he's not going to have that speed again. He also looks like the fastest Hendrick car because none of the other, none of his other teammates looked all that impressive in practice or qualifying, especially Alex Bowman, um, which is disappointing. But Byron has been just a monster on short flat tracks this year. So he's a guy we could see. Um, Hamlin starting 20th is a little hard to believe that he can get up there and dominate. Um, could see him move up, could see him lead some laps in like a pit cycle, but I find it hard to believe that he could dominate. Chastain starting 31st takes him out of the dominator. But you don't even need him to dominate. Like he's no, he just needs to snag a top 10, which by the way, he's finished P8 here the last two years. So I don't even know at his price tag if you need a top 10. I don't think, well, let's see, 8,800 on DK. So five, if he finishes 15th, he's hitting 5x value. Okay. Well, he's. Should be capable. Um, I think Kislowski. I know we just said Fords we don't necessarily see, but I think Kislowski, given his history here, could do it. Um, I got to ask you about Almarola. God, I knew this was coming. 8,200. <laughs> and he's starting P3. <sighs> it's not happening. That's what we said in 2021, too. And I. <laughs> In fairness to the books, he was going off at like 25 to 1 this time instead of 80 to 1 this time. Um, I doubt it's happening, though. Like, I I could get behind it if he was starting maybe like P8 or P9. I could be like, yeah, you know, I could, yeah, I'd play him in in a couple tournament lineups there. But starting P3, it's it's almost too likely that he, he just goes backwards and just loses points for you as as the race goes on i mean okay so here's my question can he pull off a martinsville because he started p3 in martinsville finished six had 36 fastest laps put up 51 points at 7200 bucks can he pull that off maybe but that's a best scenario I think the thing is, though, is like at Martinsville, it's it's a little bit easier to play mid-range guys that start up front because more drivers tend to get lapped that are starting further back. Like there's more pressure on drivers that start further back at, at a track like Martinsville because you need to stay on the lead lap because as right. soon as you start the race, the leaders are already a half lap behind you already thinking about how they're going to make a move to put you a lap down. At New Hampshire, there's, there's less flexibility and, and – uh, it's just so hard to like him this week. And you, like, we know he won this race two years ago, but there were certain things that were that came into play with the weather. And Yeah, I think at the end of the day, I'm just not playing any of them. And that could bite me. I mean, 
You're not gonna play any Fords? Oh, I'm not gonna oh oh sorry. I'm not playing any Almarola. Okay. I'll play Harvick. Okay. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry. Whoa, I we're I, cutting off after I, I think I think I missed your question. I thought we were still talking about Almarola because I was also checking my phone at the same time and Bob Brock. No, we we were Bob still talking about said, I'm not playing any of them. Like there was more than one Almarola involved. No. <laughs> no, Pockris tweeted that Joe Graff Jr. took the lead in the Xfinity race, and that kind of screwed me up for a bit because I never thought I'd see the day. Um, well, pit cycles but, happen, my friend. Yeah, but I'm not <laughs> playing Amarola. There are still plenty of forwards that I want to play. I want to play Kevin Harvick almost any given yeah, week. Let's talk about what are we doing with Kyle Busch? Because for those who did not watch practice or qualifying, he is listed as starting 10th. Okay? In practice, he touched the wall. No, did did a little bit of stuff to his right rear and right front, right? Got it back on the track. He ran a line. He he ran a time fast enough to qualify into the you know get into the top ten group for round two, and then in round two he friggin' sent it and it snapped loose and just crushed the crushed the whole back of the car. So he is technically starting 10th. However, the team is repairing his primary and basically put on a new rear bumper, some new uh, suspension stuff in the back and whatnot. And he's going to have to start from the rear because it's all unapproved adjustments. Are we concerned about (laughs) that with him? Yeah, but... I've always been a guy when I'm constructing NASCAR DFS lineups, like in, and I've said this before that I care more about how I think ownership lands than I do necessarily about projections because this is such a high variance DFS sport that most times, you know, we can project Christopher bell to lead 150 laps and, and, and win from the pole. And then anything could happen. He could get a penalty. He could, well, I remember a few years ago when Matt Kenseth was still racing and dominated this track. He had won like three of the last four races, was untouchable, picked him to win, had had him as my favorite DFS play. Like 10 laps into the races, wheel falls the hell off the car. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of his day. Yeah. So, so like – I do like Bush in tournaments. I can't imagine that anyone's going to want to play him when he scored from 10th, but he's starting outside the top 30. And all he has to do is really just work his way up through the field. He can strategize whoever the hell he wants. And if he finishes top five and still collects some fastest laps along the way, I'm not going to necessarily rule out 6X value. Now, is there win equity there? I don't think so, just because Joe Gibbs Racing just does such a good job of dominating at these types of tracks. Yeah. But if you're telling me that Kyle Busch is going to come in with probably 12% ownership, I'd probably want 20% exposure. Um, I'd be okay with that. I know a lot of people probably wouldn't, but I wouldn't hate that kind of leverage in a high-variance sport when we have a lot of PD plays that could easily bust this week. Yep, I would, I would agree. Just, you know. Awesome that I'm not usually scared off by a guy starting in the in the rear unless they're starting like front row and they're <laughs> starting in the rear, then that becomes a much bigger question because obviously getting back to the lead is a whole different story than getting, you know, back to tenth. Um 
So I am fine with Kyle Bush. I want to see if any of the post-qualifying bets, betting lines are up. It doesn't, not sure that they are. I mean, I would expect Truex and Bell to still remain the favorites. Um, but just based off of Denny Hamlin being the third favorite right now, mm-hmm. you know, and he's starting 20th. I what is the read for Denny on Sunday or Sunday or Monday, whenever they read the, start this race? What like he's 10,900 and he's starting P20 and we haven't really talked about him. It's because I find it hard to know what to make of him, really. Like, it's been a weird year. Like, he was great at, at Gateway. Right? Well, not great, great, but but pretty good. He started third, finished second, 33 fastest laps, right? Um, Martinsville, again, a pretty good race. I just don't know. Like, but Phoenix, it was a bad day for him. So, it's... I would expect that he could move up, but do we really expect? I mean, he he's going to need without any fastest laps or laps light. He's probably going to need a top five finish to hit value. <clears throat> to hit value, probably, but with three hundred laps, he did what fifty four and a half points. I would say that with three hundred laps, I'd say he could probably still accumulate like five dominator points along the way. Because we see it all the time, like in these races where there's always like one guy that can somehow get like 10 fastest laps. And at the end of the day, you're like, well, how the hell did he get 10 fastest laps? But those 10 fastest laps equate to four and a half fantasy points. And I think I'd be okay with him for cash games. But if you're building two dominators, I'm kind of with you where there's a lot of uncertainty in that. I'd rather go Bell Truex or Bell Byron or Truex Byron. Right. I guess that's my big thing is like where does he fit in a build? Because because yeah. if I'd you're paying pay bucks more for Truex and have a pretty good idea that you're gonna get a bunch of laps led. Yeah. Right. So like it's kind of I think a, I'm in agreement. Like if you're paying for the third most expensive driver, you want dominator points. Yeah. I mean or at least a guarantee that he's going to have a pretty good day, and I don't know that we have that from from Denny. I don't, not really that high on any of the Hendrick guys outside of Byron either. Yeah, I'm not either. Um, we got less than a minute left. Are there any final thoughts you might have for New Hampshire? Would your um, strategy change if this race is on Monday or as opposed to Sunday, or not really? Not really, because it was clear. Today and the temps on Monday are about what we saw today. Um, okay. Now, would I be playing more Denny Hamlin if it's on Monday? Maybe, because he tends to show up on Monday races. Uh, Truex tends to do pretty well on Monday races. But no, I mean, it gets, if they try to run the race on Sunday and then they postpone it, then that's when things get interesting. But I don't think they're going to do that. All right. Well, Matt, thank you so much for your time. Best of luck to you this weekend at New Hampshire, and best of luck to the FA Nation.
Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy.